This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Amen. And just continue in a second week here, possibly go another week on, uh, we're talking about spiritual apathy and one of our texts is in Revelation and, and what that means being spiritually apathetic. Um, and this week I want to talk to you, this is week number two of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans, it's in Revelation. <clears throat> Revelation 2.4. Revelation 2.4 has been our text. And uh, we have Jesus' message to his precious church in Ephesus in this chapter. And then in verse 4, Jesus is speaking now. And, he, and this is New Testament, okay? This is after the death, burial, resurrection of Christ and ascending to heaven. And, and he, he, he writes, he writes, and in, 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 uh, uh, John writes on the island of Patmos that uh, uh, what Christ is, is speaking to him, Revelation 2.4, he says, nevertheless, we talked about that last week, that word means but. He says, I have something against you because you have left your first love, left your first love. And, and we talked about that last week about losing our spiritual passion and, and, and fervor and that when we do that, we become spiritually irrelevant in our generation. I don't know about you. I don't want to be spiritually irrelevant. Can I get an amen? I want it to be relevant. I want someone to know that when they see you, your life, and they go, you know what? They're a force for God's kingdom. Can I get an amen? You know, there, there, there is someone there that, that is passionate about the Lord, and, and they know, you know, that's where they're at, and you know, that's uh, who they are, and, and, and they may not agree, but they just know that you are headlong for Christ. Amen? And so I, I believe God is looking that for that for us and his people. Other translations say this, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Uh, you don't love me as, as you used to, the one other translation says. And then it jumps down uh, uh, to um, verse 6 there, if you would with me. It says, yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, which I also hate. And I want to talk to you about that. What is he talking here? Because this is a direct relation to spiritual apathy. So what Jesus says he hates in this chapter is which really is the outgrowth of spiritual apathy when we participate in what uh, uh, he's talking about there. Well, so who were these Nicolaitans? Who were they? Um, Revelation 2.6. But there's one thing that you are doing right. So the Lord kind of rebukes them and says, you know what, you're, you're, you're in this area here that you're, you, you, you know, you need rebuking. You, you lost your first love, me, God, you know, the Lord. But, but there's something you're doing right. And so he kind of sandwiches that together. And he says, you hate what the Nicolaitans are doing, and so do I. I want you to get that. And so do, I, so do I. You hate the works, the deeds, or the actions of the Nicolaitans. And so Jesus, he's proud of the church for their, watch this, their hatred of the Nicolaitans. Now, I, I said, okay, this is a pretty strong word. We don't want to, it's not a popular word, you know, now today in society, you know, hate is so strong. We should be loving and kind. I, I agree. I don't think we should be throwing that word around. But, but what did Jesus mean when he used the word hate? Are you with me this morning? It actually means this. It actually means to hate. 
It's in, it's in the Greek. To abhor, to find utterly repulsive. It describes a person who has a deep-seated animosity, who is antagonistic to something he finds to be completely objectionable. He not only loathes that object, but he rejects it entirely. This is all the meaning of this word. And so it goes on to say, this is just not a case of dislike. Is it, a, it is a case of actual hatred. Wow. I didn't know Jesus hated certain things. He does. And he writes about it in the New Testament in this book. He hated this. Now, the name Nick. The Nicolaitans is derived from actually two Greek words and just kind of a little background, Nikos and Laos. And uh, Nikos means to conquer and to subdue. And uh, Laos means a Greek word for the people. So they formed together. Uh, Nicholas, the name means one who conquers and subdues the people. So that's what that means when he talks about these deeds. So let me just give you a little background. And there's a hint in, in Acts chapter 5, you can turn to that, that, about the Nicolaitans. And they were spiritual descendants of Nicholas of Antioch, who was a deacon. Now, I want you to get this here. And, and, and this verse just kind of just shouts to me that when people say that Christians can't backslide, I just go, you know what, look at this because we'll get to this here in a moment. <clears throat> it says this, it says, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. The background of that, as you can look at, is that the, the Hellenistic Jews were being neglected and, and they were pulling on the apostles and they said, you know, we got to give our time to prayer and fasting and reading the word and teaching and preaching. And, and, and so, we, you know, you choose from yourself among you seven men full of the Holy Ghost, men of wisdom, men of, you know, courage, and, and it just went down this list. And it says, so the saying, they select these men, please the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith. He was the first martyr. We heard about that. Um, uh, he was full of the Holy Ghost. Philip was an evangelist that went down uh, uh, from Antioch, and, and uh, uh, he had four daughters that prophesied, and he, he had miracles and signs and wonders. These were deacons, <laughs> We go to the title today, Deacon, and he goes like, well, I just opened the door for someone or I greet somebody when they come in. My value is not. These were deacons. They were anointed by God. They, they were gifted. That, that, that's the, that's the, the, the mindset that, that we should have today when we serve in God's house and we serve his people, amen? That you are an anointed minister, man or woman. And it goes on and mentions Philip, and then it says this, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. There he is. It's direct relation to the Nicholas in Revelation. How many with me say amen? And so it tells us that Nicholas, he was this proselyte of Antioch. And so the fact that he was a proselyte tells us that he was not born a Jew. So I just want you to follow that. But he had converted from paganism to Judaism. When, how many of you know that's a good thing? From paganism to Judaism. We're going to touch on paganism here in a bit. Then he experienced a second conversion at this time, and he turned from Judaism to Christianity. How many of you know that's a really good thing? It is. <laughs> he became born again. He, you know, he, he, was, he, became, he was saved, all right? Otherwise, they would not have selected this guy. Come on now, are you with me? This is not some run-of-the-mill guy that's in the church that's, you know, whatever, yet in heart really not fully towards the Lord. I'm not saying they need you in here like that, amen. But yeah, yeah, how many hear what I'm saying? You know, they're just kind of like, what is your deal? You know, what? And he, he was just one of the guys like, Nicholas, yeah, that's, that's, he's a man of God. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Let's choose him. Well, Nicholas of Antioch, <clears throat> here's some facts. I'm gonna go through these really quickly. 
Nicholas of Antioch, he came from paganism and he had deep pagan roots. History tells us that unlike the other six deacons who came from pure Hebrew stock, or the Hebrew line, Nicholas' pagan background meant that he had previously been immersed in the activities of the occult in Ephesus and in Pergamon. We're going to talk about that in a moment. The second thing was just an observation. He was not afraid of taking, we're talking about spiritual apathy here and how it happens. He was not afraid of taking an opposing position. What do you mean? Well, it was evidenced by his ability to change religions twice. Converting to Judaism would have estranged him from his pagan family and friends. It would seem to indicate that he was not impressed or concerned about the opinions of other people. So he was, he was quick to take an opposing view, and, and we see that by his two conversions that we know of least. And uh, the third thing that we can deduct is he was a free thinker. He was very open to embracing new ideas and concepts. Now, what I'm sharing right now, in a sense, these are all good, positive things when it comes to this man being selected. Uh, Judaism was very different from the pagan and occultic world in which he's been raised. History tells us for him to shift from paganism to Judaism reveals he was very liberal in his thinking because most pagans were offended by the, the Jewish religion in Judaism. So he was obviously not afraid to entertain or embrace new ways of thinking. I want you to think about that now. New ways of thinking. And number four, when he converted to Christ, um, it was it was at least the second times we mentioned that he converted from one religion to the other. And once again, we don't know how many times he shifted from paganism within paganism. We don't know anything about that, but, but, but we know he was a Jewish proselyte. How many with me say amen? And then the last thing I'll just say about him is his ability to easily change religious hats. He could just switch. He wasn't afraid. Implies he wasn't afraid to switch direction midstream and go in a totally different direction, even if people didn't like him. How many of you know when you leave one religion, you're going to have people in there that are relatives, grandparents, come on now, right? Fathers, mothers, you know, great-grandfathers, if they're still alive, they might not be happy with you. Amen? You le- How could you leave the so-and-so church? How could you, you know, what cult are you going to, you know? Any church is proclaiming the truth, they're always going to, it's a cult, you know. It's like, really? I don't know what that means. So, so here's the thing. The criteria for the selection of all these men, as we mentioned before, is that they were what? I want you to see this. They were, uh, Acts 6.3, men of honest report, full. Somebody shall full of the Holy Spirit in wisdom. Here's the thing. We can leak. I remember the sermon I preached three weeks ago. <laughs> I mentioned it at the men's meeting. I said, how many of y'all men remember the sermon your pastor preached last Sunday? Two people. Jack Connington raised his hand. Thank you, Jack. God bless you. I love you, brother. <laughs> but, but, you know, they just don't know. And, and you, you, this is, even myself, sometimes I get up here, I'm like, what did I say last week? And that's me. So we leak, all right? We leak. And I said this, that spirituality is, is, is it's a perishing discipline. It's a perishing discipline. It's something that if we don't maintain that, just like the, uh, I use the illustration of bananas, that bananas are good at a certain time. After that, it's, they're rotten. They need to get out. We need to maintain our spiritual fervor. Can I get an amen? So, so now once these men have been chosen, they were presented to the people, the apostles, who the Bible said that they laid hands upon them, and so they installed them, and this official ordained them into the deaconate. So, so the question is, and this is the, the, the big question, what was so bad about what Nicholas' doctrine that he taught? What was the big, big deal with that? That actually Jesus Christ, 
our Messiah, our Savior, had to write that he hated it. He hated it. What was it? Well, according to the writings of the early church leaders, that doctrine was, Nicholas taught, watch this, a doctrine of compromise. Somebody shall compromise. Implying that total separation between Christianity and the practice of the cult, which he came from, was paganism. It wasn't essential. See, he swift, you know, he shifted and, and switched religions, and now within Christianity, he's taken this form of embracing kind of everything in the past. So he taught a doctrine of compromise. So from the early church records, it seems apparent that Nicholas of Antioch, he was so immersed in the occult and then in Judaism and then in Christianity that he kind of had a stomach for all of him, a stomach for all of it. He had no problem intermingling these belief systems and, and, and concoctions. He saw no reason why believers couldn't continue to fellowship with those still immersed in the black magic of the Roman Empire and its countless mystery or mystery cults. Just quickly here, the occult was permeating in, in, in Ephesus in this community. Uh, one of the uh, areas was Ephesus. They had Diana. Uh, one time Paul came in uh, and they were selling these little silver trinkets. They actually excavated these Diana of Ephesus or Artemis and they would worship her. And there's other kind of vulgar pictures of her and this goddess of fertility. And, and, and they built a temple. They erected a temple which is one of the seven wonders of the world. It's this temple. And and they would worship this this image, and 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 uh, I just thought it's just interesting how they were caught up in that. And so it was a pagan religion. Tradition says that Diana was born in the woods near Ephesus, where her temple was built. When her image of wood, possibly uh, ebony, fell from the sky, you say, "Well, what do you mean by that?" Acts nineteen thirty five is an interesting. Uh, take on once this riot started in Ephesus that Paul said, let me at them. I want to go preach to them. There was thousands that came out that were so mad because uh, he said, you know what? Throw away these idols. This is idols. You don't need this. You need Christ. And he, he just he just started preaching the truth under the anointing. They went into a, they went into a fit of rage. And so they came out and they screamed for two hours. Just think of being in a stadium. People are screaming in an amphitheater. Two hours. Great is the goddess, the Diana of Ephesus. Great is the God. How many of you know that's a pretty hostile environment for a believer? Amen? So he steps out and Paul goes, let me at him. I'm like, you're going to die, man. He had boldness. Paul had boldness. But what happens was the town scribe, he shows up and he's like, shit, stop this. Cut this thing off. And this is what he says. Town scribe, appeasing the people, said, you men of Ephesus, stands right out in front of all of them. What man is there that does not know how the city of Ephesus is honored of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from the heavens? Interesting. Just a little interesting, little uh, tidbit of information there that you can kind of sometimes breeze over. Now, whether history, I mean, there's different commentators on this that that is something they fabricated, wooden image, they made it. Some of it is that it was, it was a meteorite that fell from the sky and they took it and they, they came from the heavens, must be from God. And, you know, they polished it and what, I don't know. I don't know. You know, actually in the, in the Islamic faith, if you go to Mecca, there's a meteorite stone, it's a black stone that they are told if they touch that stone, millions of, of Muslims go make the trek to, to Mecca and they, they walk around the temple there and they, they try to press in to touch that stone, which is a meteorite stone. Interesting. Here's something uh, <clears throat> 
kind of an extra biblical account, so don't hold me to this, but I thought it was interesting. There was a book in the second century that was written called the title, The Acts of John, John uh, the Apostle. And it includes a story, or they call it a tale of the temple's destruction, this temple in Diana. <clears throat> and the Apostle John, it says, walked into the temple, he prayed publicly in the temple of Artemis. And he exercised in the demons of that temple. So he walks into this temple, this is the Apostle John, and he takes authority over every demonic spirit. You know what happened? This was written, what happened? <laughs> it says, publicly in that temple, exercising demons, and all of a sudden, the altar of Artemis, it's split in many pieces. Someone shout, that's power. When you can pray and something happens naturally and breaks, that's, that's the power of God. And immediately it says the temple priest was killed and, and the, there was, seemed to be a number of Ephesians there listening to John and his message converted all those Ephesians. Immediately they accepted the Lord that quick. How many know you were in a situation like that? You'd be like, oh, oh God, I got to straighten out right here. This is serious stuff, right? And it said many of them wept, some prayed, and some of them they took off running. <laughs> Just a little interesting uh, about that that city and what happened. And, 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 you know, I really believe God wants to restore to the church the power of the New Testament church. Did you hear that? To restore. Well, we have miracles. We have signs and wonders. We don't chase after them, amen, but we have them in our midst. We serve a miracle-working God. But we haven't seen it for so long. But you know what? That's changing in the church. I said that's changing in the church. Christians are getting more fervent. We're not going to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. We're going to have two feet headlong into God's kingdom and his purpose and plan for our life. Can I get an amen? It's changing. It's changing. It's changing in America, too. Yes, we're a secular nation, and we have previous presidents say America's not a Christian nation. Well, that may be true, but you know what? There are millions of Christians still in this nation, and, and they love God, and they love the purposes of God, and they love God's word, and they love going to church, amen? And so we can turn the tide. You know, God said this about uh, destroying um, <clears throat> uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, is there not one in that community? Is there not one? I won't destroy it just for, for one. And you know, he got them out. He got them out. All right, let me get back on track here. The city of Pergamos. Actually, it's related here in Revelation. It's talked about uh, the seat of Satan. So there's a little map there about where Pergamos is in, in Ephesus. It's in, in modern-day Turkey. But this, this city was actually the city of Satan. Think about that. There were numerous dark and sinister forms of occultism causing Pergamos to be one of the most wicked cities in the history of the ancient world. In both of these cities, history tells us believers were attacked and persecuted fiercely by adherents of pagan religions. They were forced to contend with paganism on a level far beyond any other city. That's what they were contending with. Because of this, it was very hard for believers to live separately from one, <clears throat> from all of the activities of paganism, as I continue to read here, because paganism and its religions were the center of life in these cities. In other words, you couldn't escape it. Now, I wanted you to think about that when we, when we talk about this. You're like, okay, that seems kind of heavy, you know, having that city. But I just want you to think, just envision, okay? Envision driving down Broadway, and all you see is gentlemen's clubs. Come on now, all right? And, and more bars that you've ever seen before. Uh, hey, wheat shops, just think, it's coming, okay? 
Are you with me? I mean, they're legalizing marijuana, like hand over foot. And then, and then you have your little kids. Every day you drive around Broadway and you see that. Don't tell me that that's not going to have an effect on this community. You better believe it will. I've been in communities that way and I've seen it. it and, and you're constantly trying to rescue these men. See, that's the seed of Satan. That's the heart of Satan is to, to get you distracted from what's really out there and make you pursuing your flesh so you can just feed your flesh and you get caught up and he destroys your life and then he laughs at you. He laughs at you because you bought into the lie. We need to be vigilant. When stuff like that tries to come in our community, we need to stand up against it. Amen. Amen. Not in, in violence, in love, but we need to stand up. We need to stand up against those things. All right, let me get back on. The point is this, that a converted Gentile would have found it very difficult to stay away from all the pagan influence. Um, it is significant that the deeds and doctrines of the Nicolaitans are only mentioned in connection with the churches of these two occult and pagan cities. So once again, once again, we're winding down here. What was this damnable doctrine? What was this damnable doctrine? It seems that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the doctrine that Jesus himself said he hated, was that it was one that was all right, watch us to have one foot in both worlds. One needn't be so strict about our separation from the world in order to be a Christian. Wow. Uh, you turn on a local television and, you know, sometimes that's all you're going to hear, even sad to say in a, a lot of national television ministries. It's, you know, what? You know, there's this sloppy grace, you know, there's this hyper grace teaching that's out there. You don't need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you. You're good to go. Just, you know, just continue on. God understands all of this. And, and that was something that God said he hated. And we're going to bring out more specifically the Lord speaking about that. One commentator says this quickly. The Nicolaitans were a corrupt sect that practiced idolatry, sexual immorality, and other gross lawless acts in the name of Christian liberty. Oh, that's a good time to say, amen, Pastor Mike, preach. <clears throat> this, in fact, was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that Jesus hated. Why? Why, why did Jesus hate it? Hear me, my brothers and sisters. It led to a weak version of Christianity that was without power. Uh, uh, without conviction. It was a defeated, a worldly type of, if I could say this, Christianity, and which is sad as much in a lot of today's Christian circles. In other words, you could say this kind of teaching would result in nothing but total defeat of those who would follow. And that's that's the, how they lived in defeatism. One Bible commentator says about this doctrine, when believers allow sin and compromise to be in their lives, it drains away the power in the work of the cross in the power of the spirit that is resident in a believer's life. We've all heard this same statement. Some of you may not, but I'm going to just say it anyways. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to say. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. That is true. And all the older Christians in the faith say amen. <laughs> went through some stuff. Younger ones too, you can, you can grab a hold of that. The evil fruit of Nicholas' doctrine encouraged worldly participation. It's okay. Kind of this kind of indulge in sin. You know, lower your standards here. Yeah, it's okay, man. You know, just kind of blend in with the world. There's no identification of you standing up for, 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 for what's right and for what God's word said. This is how he conquered the people. We're going to see in the Old Testament a Balaam of an Old Testament prophet, actually, that conquered the people that Jesus relates to this same doctrine. 
the doctrine of Balaam. I'm going to just fast forward today. Think about it. Now, I don't mean this to be a heavy and you're wonderful, beautiful people, and you love God. You're here this morning in this cold morning. But this needs to be preached. This goes out to this community. This needs to be preached in our region. Watch this. It's the same mindset today that reasons, you know what? It's okay to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend if you love them. And it got awfully quiet in this full gospel church. It's called fornicating. It's a sin. Amen. Committing adultery. I hear stuff all the time that happens. What? What did he, he left his wife? He was online, you know, his chat room. Whatever. He, you're kidding. Yeah, kids, kids can't stand him. Want nothing to do with them. But the whole, you know, his whole life, I knew him for 20 years. You gotta be kidding. It's that doctrine that Jesus said, I hate that. It's lukewarm. Come on, church. He says, I don't like it. So it was very clear. God was very clear. Is you know, this says it's okay, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, you can be a part of the, I know, I know you hang out in the bars, you know, and all that. And okay, you like to drink and woo, you know, all that's fine. It's, oh, I smoke the, the pipes or whatever. And then weed, it's legal. It's legal. Listen, there's a lot of stuff that's legal that'll kill you. Amen. Come on, you need to use wisdom. We need wisdom. They're finding, they're doing studies in Colorado now of these guys that have camps with their smoking weed and it's racking their brains. It is killing their brain cells. They're inoculated and they can't do any work. They just sit there and smoke weed, killing themselves. So oh, that's not me. It's just recreational. Give me a break. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? <laughs> Aren't you glad you got a pastor that's going to tell the truth even though it's hard? <laughs> and, and he gets hate meals, eat meals once in a while? You know what? I had this pastor. I'm going to mingle a little bit more. It's okay. I asked this pastor, I said, why don't you drink? And I, and I don't drink. And I'm just like, why don't you drink? Please just, just don't bristle on me, whatever. But he said this. I thought this was interesting. He said, everyone who drinks at some time or another drinks way too much. Everyone. Yeah, they said, you know, oh, last night I was out. I just had too much. It happens. Why even go down that pathway? Amen. I'm not saying that's for everybody. Please understand me and, and uh, just, just, just temper that, please, temper that. But I just thought that was interesting. Here's the thing. God wants us to make sure we understand this doctrine of the Nicolaitans that they taught. And so, and so he adds in, Jesus Christ says this about Balaam's action. Revelation 2, 14 and 15. Let's see if I have it up here. Revelation 2, he says, but I have a few things against you. You have among you those who follow what Balaam taught Balak. What was that? Balaam, uh, he trapped, uh, the, the Balak trapped the people of Israel, but he encouraged them. See, they wanted him to, uh, Balak wanted him to curse the children of Israel. And so he hires Balaam and, and Balaam goes out and, uh, you know, he's, again, actually was trying to stop by the donkey. The donkey slammed his legs against the wall, crushed his foot. The donkey had enough sense and, and then the, the donkey speaks. You talk about Dr. Seuss talking with the animals. The donkey speaks. It was a miracle. And it's like, you don't know what you're doing. There's an angel that's going to kill me. You want to go curse the children of Israel? You can't. But he kept, he, kept, he kept going out, Balaam. He kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And so he trapped the people of Israel. He goes, I can't curse him. He speaks a prophetic word over them that they are blessed. The Messiah is going to come through. And then he says this. He goes, well... Go back to Balak if you really want to get him tripped up. What kind of guy is this? I mean, God just speaks to him. We have writings of what the promise of the Messiah. And then he goes, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Eat certain foods sacrificed to idols and have them commit fornication. 
Wow. Have them commit fornication. Dangle the uh, prostitutes of Moab in front of them, and the men is going to go after them. Oh, yeah. And Jesus said, this is the doctrine that I hate. And when Balaam, that prophet, he couldn't successfully curse the people of God, he used another method. What was his method? He seduced them into, un, watch this, unbridled, sensual living by dangling the prostitutes of Moab before the men of Israel. Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25. Verse 1 to 3, it said, In Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. This is a direct reference to what is written here in Revelation that Jesus said he hates. This is part of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Compromise. Someone shall compromise. They compromise. That's what it was. Well, we are all well aware of. Compromise with the world always results in a weakened and powerless form of Christianity. Stand with me if you would, please. As I was praying about the conclusion here, Knowing that, okay, there's a sense that this message is, is a, uh, I call some messages, even the message I shared last night with the men uh, at the retreat, I, 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 God gives me messages that are intersecting messages. You know what I mean by that? How many have ever come into an intersection and you've almost been blindsided, almost hit? Some messages, they're not all love, joy, peace, and happiness. Amen? There are messages that intersect across our life that stop us and turn us around and go, oh, wait, worship team, you can come forward. And it causes us to wake up. Last night's message was that. It was to rescue those heading in a headlong direction. Uh, it doesn't mean there's not mercy and grace for people that screw up and mess up. We know God's grace is there. Can I get an amen? It is. But when we compromise with the world, I just want to encourage you, and this is the thing that really gets me upset, is when I hear other ministers trying to bring down younger kids and encourage them to do things that are contrary to God's word. You think, what? Why would they do that? Oh, yes. I've heard it firsthand. Like, you gotta, you don't be ashamed of yourself. Leading. The Bible says if we lead one of these little ones astray, it's better a millstone be tied around your neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. There are some things that God hates, and he hates compromise. Every head bowed, please. This was the reason Jesus used the word hate, this doctrine in the deeds of the Nicolaitans. My prayer is that we would be a church that hates what Jesus hates. Come on now. As husbands, as wives, as sons and daughters, grandparents, grandmothers, grandfathers, and relatives and aunts and uncles, we would hate what Jesus hates. And that's you here this morning. I want to, first of all, pray for those, pray for our television audience. And you say, Pastor, I don't know the Lord. I'm not right with God. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day. This is a great day for you to get right with God. You say, well, what do I have to do? Jesus paid the price of your sin. You must take the step of faith to receive and embrace what he did 2,000 years ago and invite God in your life. You have a choice in the matter. You're here this morning and and the sound of my voice, you say, Pastor, I, I'm just not right. I'm not right with God, but I want to get right. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. You're not joining this church, but you are joining the family of God. If that's you, can we pray corporately? Say to me, say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
I give you my life. Now take it in Jesus' name. I want to do a prayer of uh, repentance and confession that I just, I just feel to read through. And I want to invite the altar workers to come forward at this time. We're going to dismiss just a minute or two here. And some of you just need to take some steps of faith. And possibly there's some things in areas you've been compromising. And you know, a lot of sometimes the stuff of compromises, you know, sometimes we can just eat too much. <laughs> you know, gluttony. We don't talk about that, but gluttony is a sin. Amen. Amen. It is. I mean, there's just simple things that we do. Some of us have too much coffee, and I love coffee, okay? But, you know, when I hear these people drink, yeah, I've been three pots today. What? You know? <laughs> what are you living on? If I cut you, it's going to be brown that comes out. How many hear what I'm saying? Oh, I love, you know, Diet Coke, Diet Coke, Diet Coke, you know? Moderation. Amen? Hallelujah. So I'm, I'm going to conclude here, but I want to pray over you a prayer of confession and repentance and if that's you just receive that let that be your prayer now as we conclude and if you need additional ministry these are godly men and women i i know them we have vetted them they are they are prayed up they are here to minister to you to just stand with you bible says two more gathered in his name he's there in their midst jesus is here this morning let's pray Lord, after what we have heard today, Lord, we want to hate what you hate. Lord, we don't want to allow any spirit of compromise in our life. Lord, now we understand that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is compromise, compromise with the world. Lord, we do not want to live with one foot in the church and another foot in the world. Lord God, today we want to break free completely from the world and its influence so we can give ourselves completely to your cause. Lord, we want to be holy, to live in a way that pleases you, to experience your power in our life. Today, we are corporately re renewing and receiving and renewing our commitment to you all over again. Lord, today we make a decision. We turn from the world and we run back to you, God. Right now, we confess that we are free from the world, that we do not walk in compromise. We are determined to live a committed and holy life before the Lord. And as a result of our determination to walk with God, we have power over sin, power over Satan, and power when we pray. God's word promises that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And Lord, right now we are drawing nearer, nearer to our God every day. So we are confident, we are confident here today that 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 your presence is in our life and it is getting stronger and it is getting stronger and is in increasing day by day. We declare this by faith in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Lord, I bless the people of God. We thank you right now for your presence and the work that you're doing in our hearts. Lord, let's not thwart that. Lord, whatever steps of faith we must take that you tell us to do, we'll do it and be obedient. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. 
For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.